invite you to be seated. I am so glad you're here this morning. Are you glad to be here? Amen. Well, I'm releasing the children through grade four to all their kids' church and children's church, and they'll be able to learn all about Jesus down there, and we'll learn about Jesus up here. How's that sound? We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 today. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you've been following along in the 100 days of summer, you've either read that this morning or you're planning on reading it sometime today. And we're looking at one verse out of that chapter. Hard to believe that tomorrow is the 100th day of our summer this year. And every year it seems like the summers go by so quickly, doesn't it? We're glad for all of you who've been able to be here with us over the summer. And we pray that it's been a blessing for you. I am incredibly excited about the message for today. It is just such an amazing message of truth. And as we think of Labor Day and, and uh, to realize that God put a, a verse in the Bible for Labor Day. And here it is, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Labor, Labor Day. You ready? Should we see what that looks like for us? So great to have that for this weekend. Well, I'm excited for this, and, and the big idea for today, the thing that we're all going to walk away thinking about all week is this. Standing in the grace of the gospel allows us to be immovable. Immovable. And so as Paul tells his, uh, his dear friends here to stand firm, we can see from this verse how we can learn that same thing, how we can learn to stand firm, to be immovable. And sometimes I think in this world, it gets really hard to be immovable because there's all sorts of things that batter us all around and we're wondering if we should do this or that or the other thing, and maybe you're at a point in that in your life. But we can know for certain that there's a place where we can stand immovable. Now, it starts by this, standing in the grace of the gospel. And as I've thought about that and looked at this chapter, this chapter is amazing because, you know, as we look at this, it says, therefore, my dear brothers, and that, that actually that word in the original text could actually better be translated brothers and sisters. And, and this is a pastor, okay? This, this letter to, to the church in Corinth is this letter written by this pastor Paul with a, with a deep love for these people at the church of Corinth. And, and, of course, the way that things were, it wasn't a congregation he could be with real often. And he didn't get there, but he got to send letters, and he'd get word of what was happening there. And you know how that is. You know, somebody calls and tells you something that's happening with one of your, one of your friends down in Florida, and you're like, oh, man, you know, and, and how do I get there? And, and like Pastor Doug said, we've got Skype and FaceTime and all those things now. But back in this day, that wasn't there at all. So these dear friends that he's writing to, and the majority of this letter is, is talking to them kind of firmly about some things. But this particular chapter is the chapter where the heart of the pastor just flows as he gets to teach them and teach them about something that they had, had, had kind of not quite gotten fully when he was there with them. And so he starts this chapter by saying, now, brothers and sisters, I'll add that. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you've taken your stand. So he's telling these dear friends of his, he says, I want to remind you about this gospel that you have. It's what you've taken your stand on, and by this gospel, you are saved. Now, 
If you have the NIV, it says are saved, but it's really important you add being in there. It's are being saved, okay? Because what he's actually trying to say is this is not only the thing that saved you, but it's the thing that will continue to save you. It's what you are being saved by. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. So what does he say? What I have received I passed on to you as of first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised um, on the third day according to the scripture. And then he talks about all the people he appeared to. So he reminds them, what is it that you're taking your stand on? What is it that you're standing firm on? It's the gospel of grace. And the truth is, as we think about this sometimes, when we start to talk about the gospel in the church, sometimes it almost seems like, you ever take an airplane flight? And the stewardess stands up, and she starts talking about the seatbelt and, and, and the oxygen mask, and everybody is riveted to her presentation. Nobody's distracted. Nobody's trying to get the last text in before they shut off the phone. No, no, everybody's just riveted to every word she's saying. No, no. Because, you know, I mean, really, a seatbelt on an airplane... To me, that doesn't make sense. I mean, I, I don't get that whole thing. You know, but, and an air mask, you know, how many of you have ever been on an airplane and actually needed the air mask? So it's probably not something we really need to be concerned about. And, and if it falls down, I'm smart enough, I'll be able to figure out what to do with it. Sometimes when we talk about the gospel, I'm not sure we're riveted to the presentation. And could I say to us, It's because we don't fully understand and embrace what it is. So I brought a visual. Are you excited about snorkels? The truth is you're probably not riveted to the snorkel presentation either. But if you had your foot stuck under a rock and the water was up to here... All of a sudden, you'd be pretty excited to know that you had a snorkel in your back pocket. You'd pull that thing out. Because it would become the very breath of your life. Amen. Without this, you wouldn't have life. That's the gospel. You get that? Without the gospel, there's no breath. Without the gospel, there's no life. Without the gospel, we've got nothing. Because you see, we're trapped here in this world that's filled with sin. And the sin constantly has us buried. It constantly has us overtaken. And the only thing that brings us breath is the gospel. It's our very life. It's everything to us. (coughs) And sometimes we take that for granted, Don't, don't we? If you're honest with yourself, I mean, sometimes we think of the gospel as I've sinned, and if I die, I'll go to hell. I don't want to go to hell, so I'll accept Jesus as my Savior, and now I'm saved, and that's the gospel. That's this much of the gospel. And that's why sometimes we have a problem standing firm. That's why when Paul tells these people, he says, listen, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. 
Understand this gospel of grace that you have is your very life. It's your very life. Jonah, from the belly of the fish, <coughs> cries out and says, those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace that could be theirs. Every moment you have opportunity to take breath from God or to be overtaken by the sin and the death that's all around you. And so Paul goes on to teach them. He says, if you don't understand this, let me help you. And in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12, he begins to help them understand. He says, if it's preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? You see, what had happened is they had gotten confused. They understood that Jesus had been raised from the dead. They were excited about that. They understood that was part of the gospel, was that Jesus had been raised from the dead. But they didn't quite understand the importance of, of the fact that he was raised bodily from the dead. That Christ actually was raised from the dead with a body. And that each one of us will be raised from the dead with a body. See, this body that we have is mortal. It can't hold our eternal soul. Excuse me. <coughs> this body is mortal. It's going to pass away. Now, like, if you're like me, you take very good care of this body. But we know that it's not going to hold out. It gets dry in the throat. <clears throat> But God sustains us, amen? And friends, come to your aid. But just like with Milt and Sarge, we celebrate the fact that there is a resurrected body. And that body's glorified. And just like this mortal body stuck in a place where sin surrounds us, that new resurrection body will be able to never sin. It will be in a place with Jesus in heaven, never sinning forever. Amen? And so, do you take your stand on that? Does that excite you? Does that encourage you? Is that the breath that you have? So as I thought about this and I looked at this first, it becomes really important to understand that standing in the grace of the gospel lets us be immovable. I brought a visual. There's three legs of this that I want you to catch hold of. And the first leg is here. We have family support. All right? So if we're going to stand firm, it's really important that we're able to do that. Now, how do we do that? Well, our first leg is family support. Now, that's really good, but it's not enough. Shall I demonstrate? Okay, ready? Okay, we get it. But it's important. So here we go. We have family, family support. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters. Again, do you see this? It's so special how much Paul loves them. And as he addresses them in this church in Corinth, it's this place where they came together. And the church in Corinth needed each other. They needed each other in a powerful way. Now here for us, we can get a little bit confused by this because here in Walworth County... There's 20 great churches you can go to. In Corinth, there was one. It was the church of Corinth. And so these people needed each other. 
because they were in the midst of a community that was, ooh, just terrible. And so they had each other. The author of Hebrews wrote in chapter 10, verses 24 and 25, let us consider how we could spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Don't give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. You know how important it is for us to come together? How important that is? See, we need to spur one another on. King James says provoke one another. Don't you love that? I think sometimes we provoke one another in the wrong way. What, what God is talking about here is encouraging one another. Do those things. You can do it. How many times have you felt encouraged when you come to church here and you bump up against one of your brothers or sisters and it's just like, man, it's good to see you. I mean, I get encouraged by you guys so much. It's so important. I look so forward to that. And that's what Paul's helping them understand here. Sometimes we can wonder, who, what is it exactly does it mean for brother and sister? Could I ask you to turn to Matthew chapter 12? Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, we see Jesus, and uh, he's talking here in verse 46. And it says this. It says, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside waiting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside waiting to speak to you. He replied to them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and mother. That's pretty important. Now we understand and know Jesus had half-brothers and sisters. Okay, Mary and Joseph had other children after Jesus was born. But Joseph wasn't Jesus' father. God's Jesus' father. We understand that. But he had brothers and sisters. So he's not saying they weren't my brothers and sisters. What he's saying is, these disciples of Christ, these who are following him closely, these are who are doing the will of his Father, are brothers and sisters in an even more intimate way. Even more intimately than my flesh sisters are my sisters and brothers in Christ. Because they're doing the will of the Father. John chapter 1, it says, As many as received him, to them he gave the power to be called the children of God. Adopted into the family of God. Intimately, differently. So, Jesus said, whoever does the will of my Father. Now what he's not saying here is that doing the will of the Father makes us his brother or sister. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is, when we do the will of the Father, it identifies us as his brother or sister. See, when you're doing the will of the Father, the only way you can do that is by the Holy Spirit flowing through you. And that identifies you as, <laughs> wow, good. I can go till 2 o'clock now. <laughs> this is great. Nobody said not to. <laughs> like a Haitian church. <laughs> it identifies us because only the power of God flowing through us 
allows us to do the work of the will of the Father. That's huge to remember. I love that we use those terms, brother and sister, around here. You know, we say those to each other, and that's special. I remember we used to sing a song a lot called The Family of God. Do you remember that song? How many of you remember that song? You want to try singing it? Sure? Okay. All right. We have words. Sherry's going to help us with that. Now, lots of times we sing the first verse, and the first verse is good, but the second and third verses, they're really kind of really powerful. So follow the words as you sing, okay? I'm going to start. You're going to take over. I'm so glad I'm a part. sister around here it's because we're a family and one has a heartache we all share the tears and rejoice in each victory in this family so dear from the door of an orphanage to the house of a king. A new song I sing from rags unto riches, from the weak to the strong. I'm not worthy to be here. Praise God, I belong. Amen. Isn't that powerful? From the door of an orphanage to the house of a king. Are you glad you're part of the family of God? Are you sure you're a part of the family of God? Now, just because I call you brother or sister doesn't mean that you are. Your relationship with Jesus Christ is what makes that certain. Have you come to a point in your life where you've exchanged control of your life to God's control of your life? Have you realized the sin in your life? Have you repented of that sin? Have you turned from that sin? And have you trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you are, from the door of the orphanage to the house of the king. Amen? Amen. Okay, so we're learning that standing in the grace of the gospel lets us be immovable. And the first leg is? Family support. Okay, second leg. Anybody have an idea what it is? We have focus. Excellent. All right. See, it's all written down for you there. Okay. <laughs> we have focus. So we're doing a lot better here, okay? But still, you know what's going to happen if I let this go. This can't stand firm. But we're getting a lot closer. So the second thing we see is we have focus. And it's right there in your, in your text. It says, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. The truth is, I think a lot of times in our lives, we, we can be really unintentional, and we just react to things that happen. We're not really focused on what we could be doing, or sometimes we get focused too much on ourselves, don't we? 
and then pretty soon we don't notice anything around us. We can have focus that's misguided or misplaced, and that's what can happen for us if we're not careful. But as Paul goes on here, he helps them understand that they, they can really stand firm on this gospel of grace if they maintain their focus. And what is that focus? Well, you remember Jesus said he came to seek and save that which was lost. He came to hand out snorkels. You catch what I mean. And so, then when he left, he said, now you do it. He said, I came to seek and save that which was lost. Now I'm trusting you to go do that for me. So not only do you have a snorkel if you came to know Christ, you got the gospel of grace, but you've got 50,000 other snorkels, or whatever it is, and we're to be handing them out. That's the work of the Lord, handing out the snorkels to all the people who need them. The gospel of grace, sharing that gospel of grace. Now, sometimes you have to take the snorkel and you say, hey, you, you need this, and they say no, and you shove it in their mouth. No, it's not like that, okay? And that's what we're afraid of. But what does it mean to do the work of the Lord? What does that really mean, and what does it look like for us? Well, Paul says, back in, in chapter 9 of 1 Corinthians, he says this. He says that you are the result of my work in the Lord. Again, as he talks to these people who are so special to him, who he loved so much, he says, you are the result of my work in the Lord. It's amazing when you think of that. In 2 Corinthians 3, he says that, that you're my letter. Now, you say, what in the world does that mean? Well, Andy, it's like this. Back in the day when Paul was teaching, okay, he, if, I, if I was going to come to you, now, I know that my credentials look, but I would need credentials. So I would provide a letter that would say to you, that I have the credentials and I have the authority to speak on what I'm speaking on. And so that would, would be what would happen as people came into a community, they would provide this letter of commendation. What Paul tells the church in Corinth is this, you're my letter. You're the letter of my recommendation. You are the result of my labor in the Lord. You're the result of this. You see, that's, that's so important. Because the people that you invest in, the people that you share this gospel of grace with, and it could be initially, it could be somebody who you just encourage along in their journey, whatever you're doing to do the work of the Lord, what happens in that person's life because of you becomes the result of your, of your work. It becomes your letter of recommendation. So I'm here because people have invested in my life. I'm the result of their work in the Lord. Jim Nelson, Ted Aarons, so many of those. And Milky, so many of them invested in me. When I really wasn't that investable, if you know what I mean. That's really not a word, is it? But see, I'm the result. I'm their letter. And so then others become my letter. They become the result of my work in the Lord. So are you always giving yourself to the work of the Lord? Do you have focus on that? Jesus says, I have brought you glory. When he's talking to God that night before he was betrayed, he says, I have brought you glory, God, by completing the work that you've given me to do. 
And sometimes we can get confused. What does that mean to give God glory? The best way I understand that, I have put the spotlight on God by doing the work he's given me to do. When I do the work that God's given me to do, it puts the spotlight on him because it's him working through me and it reveals him. Paul says here in the, in the first part, in verse 10 of, of chapter 15, he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. You see, that's a beautiful glimpse of how this works. How do I do the work of the Lord? Okay? Well, remember when you were a kid and you had no, you had no money. And it was time to buy, you know, your, your, your folks an anniversary gift. And so your folks would give you some money and you'd go out and buy your folks an anniversary gift. And you'd bring the anniversary gift and you'd say, hey, I got this for you. And you were so glad because you did the work of going and picking out that gift and bringing it, even though it wasn't your resources that allowed you to get it. And your parents were like, oh, that's so cool. What an amazing gift that you brought me, even though they knew it was their resources that allowed you to do that. That's how it is to do the work of the Lord. See, it's his resources that he's given you to do this, but it's you blending with him to make that happen. It's you focusing your efforts with his strength and his power to do his work, to touch the world with the gospel, the gospel of grace. Another passage talks about this. Colossians chapter 4, verse 17. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you've received in the Lord. I love this verse. The reason I love this verse is because what we need to understand is back in the day, okay, when this was written, Colossians, it wasn't like, like someone would say, okay, everybody open up your Bible to Colossians because it was like it wasn't written yet. So what would happen is they'd get a letter, and this letter would come to the church in Colossae. So they'd be waiting for new information, new things that Paul could share with them, and along would come this letter. And people would gather like this, not quite on padded chairs with lights and everything, but they'd gather in a place and they'd listen to this letter being read. And so the whole letter of Colossians is read, and it's read to the entire group that's there. And then all of a sudden, it comes towards the end of the letter, and it says, tell Jill Hansen to complete all the work she's been given in the Lord. And everybody looks at Jill Hansen, right? <laughs> and Jill Hansen's like, oh, man, I'm really glad that was in there. Can you imagine how Archippus felt? But what do we learn from that? What can we learn from that verse? Here's the deal. We've each been given work to do in the Lord. And, and Jill, the work that you've been given to do, it's not the work that I've been given to do. That's your work. I've been given work as well. Rachel, I've been given work to do in the Lord. Terry, Tess, each one of us have been given work to do in the Lord. Isn't that great? And we're to complete that work. Now, I think it's wonderful. I love the fact that Dave and April went to France and are headed to Mali and that we're able to support these missionaries all around the world and that we have so many people who go out on short terms. Everything else, I think that's wonderful. But listen, that's not necessarily the work that all of us have been given to do. But each one of us have been given a supply of snorkels. We've each been given these. We've each been given the gospel of grace and the work to do 
to hand them out. And some of you, some of you are cleverly disguised as pilots handing out snorkels. Some of you are school teachers handing out snorkels. Some of you are retirees. Some of you are students going into your school with the work to do of the Lord. Some of you are stay-at-home moms. Some of you are, what are you? But each one of you is important in spreading the gospel of grace and doing the work of the Lord. Because once you understand how important this is, you want everybody to, you know to understand this, to have the same breath of life that you do. Do the work of the Lord. We have focus. And the truth is, could I ask you a question? What matters when you're no longer of concern to yourself? What if it's not about you? What if it's about God? What if instead of me focusing on what brings me pleasure, I focus on what brings God pleasure? And what, brought, what brings God pleasure is when us, brothers and sisters, do his will and do the work of the Lord. Ephesians 2.10, you're God's workmanship, created in Christ to do good work, which he's prepared in advance. In that same letter of Colossians chapter, chapter uh, 2, it says this. I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything. And do it not only when their eye is on you to win their favor, but with a sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord, whatever you do. Work in it with all your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. You will receive an inheritance from the Lord. Listen, do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but instead, store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. Yesterday, we had a celebration of Milt's life. What an interesting man. He lived this verse. He lived the verse. One of the songs that he had us sing at the, at the, at the service said, If I can help somebody, then my living will not be in vain. And so Milt understood what it meant to be focused on doing the work of the Lord. What did he do? Was he some super Christian? No, he was just a guy, and he would tell you that. He was just a guy with focus. And because of that, pens were handed out, and have been and will be, because he's left <laughs> funds to help make that possible. And when those run out, I'm confident someone will take that baton. And so pens are handed out in all different languages around the world to tell people that Jesus loves you. Bicycles are given to pastors who can now spread the gospel. There's a bike in the Philippines. And when Tess was in the Philippines, she worked with Milt, and there's a bike in the Philippines. It's a bike with a sidecar on it. And that sidecar allows food to be taken to children in the slums who are working in the charcoal factory. And on that, it has Milt on the bike. He didn't want it there. It's there. I'm pretty confident... Nobody in the Philippines knows Milt. Yet. 
You get that, right? Because that bike is being pedaled around by a person who's sharing the gospel. And so people will come to know Jesus, and they will meet Milt in heaven. And he's storing up for himself treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy. What has your focus? And you do this as you walk along. It's not like you have to stop what you're doing in order to do the work of, your, of the Lord. You do the work of the Lord as you're working. Wherever you are, handing out clothing, working at the changing place, one slot left for tomorrow. See Karen if you can fill it. There you are. It's amazing. What would happen if we all focused on this? You see, what happens is then we become disciple makers. We become people who are doing that which Jesus told us to do in Matthew 28. Go and make disciples. We're making disciples as we go along. Now that might mean you're talking to somebody who's never heard of Jesus. It might mean you're talking to someone who's known Jesus for 50 years and just needs help moving a little bit along the way. But you're not focused on yourself, you're focused on others. So what are we learning? We're learning today that, see it at the top of the screen, what does it say? Standing in the grace of the gospel lets us be immovable. That's what you all meant, right? The first leg, remember what it was? We have support, family support. Second, focus. Third leg, who can guess? We have assurance. Okay, we're getting this. Wish we had 14 more points. Okay, so we have assurance. Look at what happens. You see how firm this is? How solid this is? Now we're standing on the grace of God. We've got the power of God flowing through us. We understand we're brothers and sisters. We understand we have focus and we have assurance. You can be absolutely certain that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Not in vain. Is that important to you? Let's look at Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Go to the middle of your Bible, that's Psalms. Head towards the back a couple of books and you'll be at Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. It's written by Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived. Riches beyond belief. Anything he wanted, he could have and pretty much had. What does he say about all the things that he's accomplished? He starts out in chapter 2, verse 17. So I hated life. Wow. That's pretty significant, isn't it? I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me. All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for under the sun because I have to leave them to one who comes after me. And who knows whether he will be a wise man or a fool, yet he will have control over all the work into which I've poured my effort and skill under the sun, and this too is meaningless. And we see that. How many of the things that Solomon poured himself into are still here? It's, it's meaningless. So my heart began to despair over all my toilsome labor under the sun. For a man may do his work with wisdom, knowledge, and skill, and then he must leave all he owns to someone who has not worked for it. This too is meaningless and a great misfortune. What does a man get for all the toil and anxious striving with which he labors under the sun? All of his days, all, all his days, his work is pain and grief. Even at night, his mind does not rest. 
this too is meaningless. It's vain. Listen, if all you're focused on are temporary things that are going to burn and and are not going to last, things that you're going to have to leave here because every time we do a, a memorial service for someone, everything that's here, they left here. If that's all you're focused on, what you're focused on is in vain. But if you're focused on the labor of the Lord, it's not in vain because it's moving ahead. Now, does that mean we all quit our jobs? No. Understand, that means that we understand that our jobs are places that we've been positioned. Those things that we do in our lives that are, 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 are achieving for us things here, as we keep those in the proper perspective and the proper focus, we see that each one of those things are things that can help us advance the gospel of grace. Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 1, Paul says, Do not receive the grace of God in vain. You can make a difference. You know that, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 10. Be on your guard. Stand firm in the faith. Be men and women of courage. Be strong. Do everything in love. Are you ready? Can we make a difference? Are you ready to stand firm in the gospel? Do you understand that your very breath of life is dependent upon the gospel of grace? Are you standing firm upon that or are you standing firm on something else? Do you understand that as you stand firm in that gospel, we have the support of family, brothers and sisters. We have a focus on the gospel of God and doing the work of the Lord. And we have the absolute assurance that none of that will be in vain. All of it will be used by God for his glory. Lord, I thank you for that. I thank you for the truth that we've looked at. I thank you for sustaining my voice, Lord. I praise you for that. God, I pray that you'd help us each to become arrested by these truths that we've learned today. Myself as well, Lord. Help me to give myself fully to the work of the Lord. If there's anyone here, Lord, who is not truly a brother or sister, I pray that today you would introduce them to yourself in an amazing way, Lord, that they would come to a place where they would recognize their need for a Savior. For the rest of us, give us focus, I pray, for your glory. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The song that we sing, it's an important song. As we get into it a ways, there's a, a verse that says this, So I will walk upon salvation, your spirit alive in me, my life to declare your promise, my soul now to stand. That's a, a prayer that you're offering. You, this song is, is a song of talking to God. So could I say, if you mean that, this life to declare your promise, Sing it boldly. If you don't mean it, ask God that he put that desire in your heart. Pastor Mark.
Yeah. 